You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. we got some visitors with us. Uh, glad you guys are here. And uh, I don't know if you guys saw, the Beals are here, and we're really grateful to God that you guys could be here with us this evening. Praise the Lord. Um, yeah, again, Romans 10. 12 through 17. We're continuing our break through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, I think, don't hold me to it, but I think we're going to go back to the Gospel of Mark next week. Uh, We'll see. Uh, But tonight we're going to continue where we left off last week in our thinking about evangelism. Now, for clarity's sake, let's review. What is evangelism? Well, to evangelize is to declare the Gospel, right? It's to declare what Jesus Christ has done to save sinners, to use words... I tried to emphasize that last week, to use words to communicate the message of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Evangelism is not telling people your testimony, though that can be part of it. Evangelism is not just living a godly life in front of others, though that is indispensable and must happen as well. Evangelism is not just inviting people to church, though that is a great thing for us to do. Rather, evangelism is telling people the facts about Jesus, the facts about Jesus Christ. Now, last week we saw the truth that that we all have an obligation to evangelize. We have an obligation to be witnesses to Jesus. We took a look at the Great Commission found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and saw that the mission given to Jesus or given by Jesus, rather, to his apostles, was then passed on to the church as a whole. And we also saw that we, as members, Christians, as members of Christ's church, inherit the responsibility to go and tell people about Jesus. And we reviewed what the message is, right? What the facts are to be that we declare to the world. And just to review real quick, we declare who Jesus is, that he is God in the flesh, that he is the Son of God. We declare, secondly, what he thinks about humanity. That that all human beings are sinners and in need of a Savior, and they're on their way to hell because of their disobedience to God and their law-breaking. Third, we declare what Christ has done to save sinners. We preach his life, death, and resurrection in place of sinners that brings about the forgiveness of sins. Fourth, we preach what he offers sinners. That's salvation, the forgiveness of sins. He offers eternal life to sinners. Fifth, we... Preach, we declare what he threatens, that those who do not come to Jesus Christ in faith will perish in hell for eternity, that Jesus threatens sinners with that. Sixth, we declare what Jesus will do in the future, that he's going to return in glory to judge both the living and the dead and save his own people, those who trusted him and condemned the wicked. And then seventh, we declare Jesus' terms of reconciliation, faith in him. That if you trust him to save you, that if you submit to him as Lord, that if you repent and believe on him, you will be saved. That that's Christ's terms of reconciliation with the God that you've sinned against, faith and repentance. So we know the message, right? This stuff is review. We know what we are to proclaim. And that's essentially the long and short of last week's sermon. We saw that we ought to evangelize, that Christ commands us to be his witnesses, and we reviewed what it is that we are to proclaim to the world. But this week, I I want us to think through the question, why? Why should you evangelize? Why should I evangelize? 
Now, it's common knowledge amongst Christians that we should evangelize, right? We have an obligation to do it. It's pretty common. But why? Why should we? And I think that's a really important question for us to answer uh, for, for our own sake. Now, now, what we could do is we could just answer that, why should I evangelize? We could answer that uh, with, because God said so. S- sincerely, th- that would be a good enough reason, wouldn't it? Right? Like, he's God. <laughs> he doesn't have to give us any reasons if he doesn't want to. Right? He doesn't have to. He's the sovereign God. He's the king of everything. He doesn't have to give us a reason. Because I said so would be enough. Right, parents? Because I said so would be enough if God said it, because he's God. But because he is so gracious and kind, what does he do? He condescends to give us many reasons for just about everything that he commands us to do, doesn't he? He's not arbitrary. He tells us why more often than he doesn't. He tells us why we should obey. He's a very kind God to do this for us. He really is. He doesn't have to, but he does out of grace. So tonight, I want us to consider some of the reasons that we should evangelize. And I want to be clear, these are not all of the reasons why we should evangelize. These are only a few. In fact, I had to cut two out. I was going to give you six this evening, but I wouldn't have time for that. Uh, But in considering why we should tell people the gospel, my prayer is that a fire would be stoked in our hearts to actually go and do the work. That's what I want. More than anything, out of the, I mean, obviously I want the Lord Jesus to be magnified and for us to see him for who he is and for us to see the gospel for what it is. But for your application, my prayer is that God would stoke a fire in your hearts that you would go do the work. After all, that is the purpose for which God gives us reasons for his commandments, isn't it? He tells us why we should obey so that our hearts would then be motivated to glad and joyful obedience to God. And we're going to see some of those reasons in Romans chapter 10, verses 12 through 17. And again, I think there there are four different motivations for us to evangelize tucked into these verses. So that's where we're going this evening. We're going to try to answer the question, why should we tell people the gospel? So let's go ahead and take up and read Romans 10, 12 through 17. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. This is God's word, and I pray you receive it as such. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, We come before you this evening and ask that you would open our hearts to receive your word. Please open our minds to receive the scripture that was just read. Speak to us by your spirit and through your word. Show us why we should evangelize. Show us all the things we've been neglecting in this area of our lives. Convict us, Lord, please. 
Show us our cowardice. Show us our laziness. Show us our apathy. And please, after that, God, grant us repentance. And grant to us that we would endeavor uh, to, to, to see and cherish and take to heart the motivations that you've given us to do the work. We ask for this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, so let's give you some context to this, right? We're dropping right in on a passage that we've not been studying. So to give you a little bit of context of what's going on in the book of Romans at this point in chapter 10, Paul is discussing the fact that the Jewish people of his day were rejecting the gospel. And and they were looking to make themselves right with God by obedience to the law instead of by grace through faith in Christ. And in this chapter, chapter 10, Paul is showing that the Jews had been preached to And that the Old Testament pointed all along to Jesus. And because of those things, they have no excuse for their rejecting Christ, for their rejecting the gospel. Paul's also explaining uh, through chapters 10 and 11 that in light of this rejection by the Jews, that the gospel has now gone out to Gentiles. But in the middle of this discussion, right, began in Romans 9, going on through Romans 11. In the middle of this discussion, Paul tells us in very simple terms a couple of things. He tells us, how someone is saved in a really simple way. And then he goes on to speak of the necessity of preaching in order for people to be saved. So while this text is immediately referring to the Jewish and Gentile people of Paul's day, it has a very broad application and relevance for all people in all times. right? And, and that's how we're going to be looking at the text this evening, just so you know. We're going to look at it very broadly. And I believe verse 12 gives us the right to do so. It says that Jews and Gentiles, or Jews and Greek, that's everyone, all people, are all saved the same way. Therefore, preaching is necessary for all people to be saved. So again, I think we have license to go broad with this. That's what we're going to do. But the first answer to our question, why should you evangelize? The first answer is this, because there is no greater message for you to declare. Why should you tell people the gospel? Because there's nothing possibly better that you could tell somebody verses 12 and 13 for there is no distinction between jew and greek for the same lord is lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call up, call on him why for everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved there is no distinction between anyone all people are saved the same way because christ bestows the riches of his mercy upon All who call upon him and all who call on him will be saved. This is the best news that you've ever heard. Again, I think sometimes we're callous to it because we hear it week in and week out. We read the books, we're in the word, we hear the songs. We we hear this, we're like almost bombarded with this good news so much that, that sometimes we don't seem to see how beautiful that this is. This is the best news you've ever heard and this is the best news that you will literally ever be able to tell anybody. Simply, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The greatest news. And this message is for everybody. All who call upon him, whether you're rich or you're poor, male or female, white or black, you grew up in church or you grew up pagan, educated, uneducated, American, Mexican, it doesn't matter. This promise is indiscriminate. It is for the world. Whoever calls upon Christ will be saved. That's beautiful. Do you not see how beautiful that is that we get to say that? Especially consider this. We live in an inclusive age, do we not? And we get to say indiscriminately all. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I have a message that is for all men, all women, all children. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 
But what does that mean? To call, to call upon the Lord means to look to Jesus Christ in faith. It means that hearing about who Jesus is and what he has done to save sinners, that you believe. That you believe all of his claims. That you believe he is God come in the flesh. That he lived a sinless life of perfect obedience to God. That you believe that he suffered God's wrath in your place on the cross and died for your sins. That you believe that he was raised from the dead on the third day to vindicate his claims and as proof that he alone brings the forgiveness of sins. And believing in him, you cry out to him. Believing in him, you cry out to him alone to save you. Believing in him, you look to him alone for the forgiveness of your sins. You look to him alone for eternal life. You look to him and not to anyone else, not even to yourself, because you know that you can't save yourself. You know that it's your own sin that got you into this position. All you can do is damn yourself further. You need him to save you. You cry out to him because you're convinced that only he can save you from your sin and the penalty that you deserve for them. You believe, and believing, you call upon him to save you. That's what it means to call upon him. It's not just saying his name. It's not just saying, Jesus, save me, but in faith, looking to him to save you. And Paul tells us that all who do this will be saved. Again, this promise is indiscriminate. It is for all who will believe and call upon Christ. And they'll be saved. What does he mean? They'll be saved from the wrath of God. The wrath of God that they deserve for breaking his law. They'll be saved from an eternity in hell under the fierce and unending anger of God. They'll be saved not only from that, but the guilt of their sins. What a, what a blessed thing that we get to tell people. You walk around with so much guilt, and it's not just feelings. It's because you're guilty. But Christ promises to set you free from your guilt for your sins and set you free to live a life unto him. They're saved from the power of sin so they can present their bodies as servants to Jesus Christ. They will be saved. Those who look to Christ in faith will be saved. Saved from sin and its tyranny, its power and its penalty. Brothers and sisters, what good news this is that we carry with us. A message of freedom. A message of the forgiveness of sins. A message of eternal life. There's nothing greater for us to declare. There's nothing better for anyone to hear. This is a glorious promise. A promise of salvation from God. There's no greater truth. There's no greater reality. I, I want you to get that into your head. There's no greater reality than salvation by grace, apart from works, apart from what the sinner does, that comes through faith in Christ alone because Christ has merited it for them. Th think about what it is you proclaim when you evangelize. Very simply put, obviously I'm condensing this down into one sentence, what is it that you declare to sinners? God is pleased to save you through faith in his son. You ever thought of the magnitude of what you're saying to someone whenever you tell them the gospel? God is pleased to save sinners if you will look to his son in faith. That's what you have the privilege of announcing to sinners. What a privilege that we have. What a great reality that we get to declare to unworthy sinners like ourselves. So get this into your heart. There is nothing better there is no better news that you could possibly tell anybody ever. This is better than getting to tell someone that they have been healed of cancer. This is better than getting to tell someone that they have just inherited a billion dollars. This is better than being the person who gets to announce there is world peace, every nation has been demilitarized, and there will never be war again. This is better news than any of that. 
When we evangelize, we're declaring God's promise of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life to sinners if they'll trust in Christ. Reconciliation and peace with their maker. This promise is the ground of our evangelism, that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the foundation that we stand upon when we tell people the gospel. Again, God will save anyone who turns to Christ in faith. No matter who you are, what you've done, what your background is, God will save you if you trust his son to do it. So why should you evangelize? Because you get the privilege of announcing the best news in the world. Think about it. A herald, right? That's someone who preaches the gospel, a herald of the gospel. Think ancient times, right? The guy who gets to go and blow on a trumpet and announce the war is over and we have won. Wouldn't you love to be that guy? He gets to announce the good news to the people. That's what we get to do when we evangelize. It is our privilege. And what else would you rather declare? There's nothing better that you could tell anyone. Right? We like to give people good news, don't we? What's one of the most famous phrases? Have you heard the good news? Right? It's a cliche. Have you heard the good news? This happened. Have you heard the good news? That happened. And in our evangelism, we get to tell the greatest news in human history to sinners. So there's your first reason. So we've just considered a very positive reason to evangelize. That it is our pleasure and privilege to declare such good news to the world. It really is, and I hope you see it as such. But we see in verses 14 and 15a, the first half of verse 15, a negative and sobering reason that we should evangelize. Let's read. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? After giving us this glorious truth that all who call upon the Lord will be saved, Paul hits us with some cold, hard reality, doesn't he? He says in verse 13 that those who call upon Christ will be saved. What does that mean? That must mean by resistless logic that those who do not call upon Christ will not be saved. There is no other way for anyone to be saved because only Christ can save them. And the sinner must call on who? The Lord. Specifically, the Lord Jesus as he is revealed in the gospel. They don't get to cry out to some generic God. Peter and Acts says there is no other name under heaven or on earth by which any man can be saved except Jesus Christ. They have to specifically call upon him. Only he can save and now Paul hits us with the reality that if sinners don't hear of Christ, they won't be saved. Here's Paul's logic in these verses. Sinners cannot call upon Christ, which they must do to be saved, if they have not believed in him. And they cannot believe in him if they have not heard of him. And they cannot hear about him unless someone tells them about him. And no one can tell them about him unless they are sent. Unless they go. So if someone does not go and preach the gospel, then sinners will not hear and therefore cannot believe and cannot call upon the Lord Jesus to save them. This is chilling logic, isn't it? And it's airtight. Sinners will perish if they do not call upon Christ. They will perish if no one tells them of the Christ they are to call upon and believe. So why should you evangelize? Because sinners will go to hell if they don't believe the gospel and they must be told the gospel first before they can believe. Maybe you're sitting there going, I have an objection. 
Right? I argue with myself in the study, anticipating what you might argue. And I don't know if we have any hyper-Calvinists among us, but we might. So here's an objection maybe you have. If God predestines people to salvation, then they don't have to hear the gospel to be saved. You ever thought that? You ever had that sinful inclination in your heart? If God predestines people to salvation, and he does, then that must mean that they don't have to hear the gospel to be saved. Well, listen. If, if that's you, if you're thinking that, then, then listen to me real quick. Don't you think it's kind of weird that Paul just gave us a beautiful passage on predestination and election in Romans 9, and then he goes right into this in Romans 10 and doesn't see a contradiction, but you do. Just real quick, just want to throw that out to you. You think you don't need to evangelize. Paul just says you must preach the gospel, and also God predestines his people. He chooses them. Simply put, if you think this objection is valid, then you don't understand predestination. And I don't have an hour and a half to go through the ins and outs of all this, so let me try to put it to you simply. The God of the ends is the God of the means. The God who has decreed someone's salvation, the God who has elected them or chosen them for eternal life, is also the same God who has decreed the means by which they will be saved. And clearly in Scripture, God has decreed that it is by the preaching of the gospel that he is pleased to save sinners. In eternity past, God chose his people that he's going to save. Ephesians 1, Romans 9, just to name a couple of passages. And at the same time, what else has he decreed? He's decreed that by the preaching of the gospel, he will draw his people out of the world and to his son. And then he gives the responsibility of preaching the gospel to who? To his church. All that is to say, Christian, God's sovereignty in salvation is not an excuse for your lack of or refusal to evangelize. God is sovereign in salvation. And God has sovereignly chosen to use our preaching to draw out his people. So we must preach. This is how our God was pleased to order things. He's sovereign, and we still have a responsibility to preach the gospel. God has decreed that our preaching is to be the means that he uses to accomplish his ends of saving his elect. But back to our main point in these two verses. I just wanted to hit that in case any of you were flirting with some really foolish theology. But back to our main point. God has decreed that he will not save people apart from the preaching of the gospel. That's very clear in these two verses. Now listen, he could zap the gospel into the hearts of sinners if he wanted to. Couldn't he? He can do anything. He could zap the gospel into every one of his chosen people, but he has not chosen to do that. He's chosen to use the foolishness of preaching, is what Paul says. He's chosen to use the foolishness of preaching. So Christian, in a very real sense, if we do not preach the gospel, people will perish. Nobody will be saved if we do not preach the gospel, if we do not declare Christ and Him crucified to the world. Therefore, we have a real and abiding responsibility and obligation to both God and our neighbor to preach to them, to preach the gospel to them so that they can be saved. Hear me on this. From the apostles' logic in these two verses, we have no reason 
to believe that anyone will be saved if they don't first hear the gospel. Right? So get out of your head this foolish idea that if someone doesn't hear the gospel, that they get a free pass to heaven. Anyone ever hear that growing up? Lily knows how foolish this is. We are so glad to have the Beals back with us, brothers and sisters. Lily, I love you. We all love you. And now that she's sufficiently embarrassed before the congregation, let's continue. (laughs) All right, so let's focus back in. This is serious stuff, all right? From the apostles' logic in these two verses, we have no reason to believe that anyone will be saved if they don't first hear the gospel. Please hear me on this. Some of us grew up with really, really bad theology where we thought that if someone didn't hear the gospel, that a, quote, poor, innocent native in the mountains of wherever, that they get a pass because they don't hear the gospel. That is not what Paul says here. Paul actually, in Romans 1 through 3, says they will perish with or without the law. They don't have to know what the Bible says. They're going to go to hell for their sins. There is no such thing as an innocent native somewhere. Whether or not someone gets to hear the gospel, they're still guilty for a multitude of sins before God. By Paul's logic here, we have no reason to believe that anyone is going to be saved if they don't first hear the gospel. There are no free tickets because you didn't hear. We're forced to believe the opposite. That if someone doesn't hear the gospel and respond in faith, they will certainly spend eternity in hell. Christian, does this prick your heart at all? Does this bother you? Does this not move you to tears or something close to it? Does the fact that people are going to spend eternity in hell not bother you enough to declare the gospel to them? Let me say it again plainly if you didn't catch it the first time. They will go to hell if we don't tell them. And are you unmoved by that thought? Are you unmoved by that thought? Is your heart so hard towards sinners that you cannot be bothered to tell them the only message that can save them? God forbid. God forbid that we would keep this message to ourselves while the world literally perishes around us. God forbid that we would be so selfish as to know the truth and know the eternal fate of those without the gospel and then refuse to tell them out of cowardice, laziness, or apathy. How dare we call ourselves followers of the most merciful Jesus Christ and then show such cruelty to those around us. Christian, you carry the good news. And will you then have such a message of hope and leave sinners hopeless? I'm serious. God's command for us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves must compel us to go and preach this message. Like, just think for a minute. How much do you have to hate someone? And you've heard this before, but let this pierce your hearts. How much do you have to hate someone to know that they're going to go to hell without Christ and then not tell them the gospel? How much do you have to hate them? If you don't love them, you hate them. 
You might, the greatest way we can love someone is to tell them the only message that will save them. But we refuse to more often than we don't or than we tell them. Right? We refuse to do it. That must mean that you hate them. So let me just get real honest with you for a second. I'm going to get real specific about some stuff. And you might get mad at me, but I want you to see things clearly. You must hate your parents to not tell them the gospel. You hate them. You must hate your children to not preach the gospel to them. You must hate your unsaved spouse. You must hate your unsaved family. You must hate your unsaved friends and coworkers. For you to know that they're going to perish if they don't hear, and then you don't tell them, you must hate them. Maybe you're sitting there, well, wait, Pastor Dave, I don't hate them. I, I'm just scared. Love overcomes fear. I, I don't hate them. I just don't want them to mock me. Love overcomes your pride. I, I don't hate them. I just don't want to lose the relationship I have with them. Love risks everything for the good of another person, does it not? There is no excuse for us to not evangelize. They will perish if we don't preach to them. Let me illustrate what the unsaved are facing here. And what words, what words do we have to describe the reality of condemnation of God? To describe the reality of hell, but as best I can, imagine the gates of hell. And above them are written, and they will perish. And after a year, the condemned soul looks up at the sign and reads, they will perish. And after a hundred years, the sign still reads, they will perish. And after a thousand years, the sign still reads, and they will perish. And after 10,000 years, the sign still reads, they will perish. And 10,000 upon 10,000 years go by, and the sign remains the same. Their suffering will know no end ever. They will be lost under the wrath of God. No breaks, no rest, no escape. Christian, that should bring you to your knees in prayer that God would save sinners. And it should drive you in boldness and love to declare Christ to them. Let me give you a quote from Charles Spurgeon. If sinners be damned, and you guys know this one, I'm sure. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish... Let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. So why should you evangelize? Because sinners perish without the gospel. Third, why should you evangelize? Because some will be saved. Just as certainly as people will perish without the gospel, we certainly know that some will be saved through the preaching of the gospel. Look at verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Now hold on, I'm not confused here. That seems like a really odd verse to get some hope from, doesn't it? Lord, they have not all believed us. They have not all obeyed the gospel. Paul says that not everyone who had been preached to in his day had obeyed, meaning they had submitted to and believed the gospel. Not everyone. 
And then he quotes Isaiah in Isaiah 53.1, where Isaiah laments, no one is believing my message about the Messiah. But notice the language that Paul uses. He says, they have not all obeyed the gospel. But Paul does not say that nobody believed. I know that was a double negative. Deal with it. Paul does not say that nobody believed. He doesn't say nobody has submitted to Christ. He does not say nobody has believed on Christ. He says not all have believed. So what Paul says is that some rejected Christ, but that also implies that some believed. And some called upon Christ to be saved, and therefore some were saved. This, this verse, while bleak on one level, is also very hopeful on another. We preach the gospel because we know that while many reject the message, and while many mock and hate and scorn us, that some will respond in faith. This is one of the great promises of God. God has chosen a people for himself, and he will draw his people to Christ through our preaching. Now, now this is a hard reminder to us for sure that not all are going to believe our message. It's hard. In fact, the Bible is clear that most people are going to perish. Most people are going to reject Christ, and that is a sad and miserable fact. But we take hope in this and are encouraged to do the work. God will save some. And his purposes cannot be thwarted. He has chosen a people for himself. And he promises that through our evangelism, he will work in the hearts of his elect and save them. And brothers and sisters, he has his people all over the world. In every socioeconomic class, every ethnicity, every religion, even, yes, even in false religions, he will call them out. Every region, every nation, every tribe, everywhere. And his people will respond in faith to the gospel and call upon Christ and be saved. So Christian, though we sorrow that many reject our message and we prepare ourselves internally for that heartache, nevertheless we rejoice and are energized to preach the gospel because we know many will be saved. So even when it seems dark and that we've been rejected by many, and it seems that no one is responding to our preaching, we know that God has a people that he's chosen and that his people always respond. That's why Paul could say this in 2 Timothy 2.10, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. We can continue to preach Christ to the world even when we're rejected because God has people out there who belong to him. To say it another way, we evangelize because we know our efforts are not in vain. There's your reason. Why should you evangelize? Because your efforts are not in vain. God's word will not return to him void. It will accomplish his purposes. God's promise to save his people. God's promise is to save his people through the preaching of the church. And listen, that doesn't mean that we're all going to necessarily have the privilege of leading someone to faith in Christ personally. But it does mean this. By our concerted efforts together, as his church, Christ will save his elect. And he will receive the fullness of the reward for which he died. And that, Christian, is a great reason for you to evangelize. Sinners will be saved. And the fourth reason and the final reason that I have that we should evangelize is very simple. Christian, you have been sent. Verse 15 says, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
Paul says that in order for sinners to hear the gospel, someone has to go. Someone's going to have to preach. Someone's going to have to be sent. Now, I know that not everyone is called to be a preacher in the formal sense. And what I mean by formal is what I'm doing right now. Right? This is a spiritual gift that God gives to some men. But I think what Paul is talking about here by the word preach is to declare Christ and what he has done to save sinners. I think that's what Paul's getting at in context here, is to declare all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I think that's what Paul means to preach. So this is informal preaching. This is to, as some people call, gossip the gospel at work, in the kitchen, in the classroom, wherever you can. This is informal preaching. You can do that. This is not just for ministers. But Paul says you must be sent. Now, I won't lie. There might be some nuance in this word. right? You should know that. I'm trying to be honest with you. There's some nuance here. It, missionaries, apostles being sent by Christ, pastors being sent into an area. But, but Christian, we, what did we see last week? Christ has been commissioned or has commissioned his church to bear witness to him. Right? Acts 1.8, and you will be my witnesses. We've all been commissioned by Jesus to declare what he has done. Now, now, I'm not trying to do away with the fact that missionaries and church planters need to be commissioned and sent by a local church. Right? You don't just get to choose that you're going to do that. The church commissions and sends. That is proper, and this verse helps us to see that. But for our purposes this evening, I want you to know he says, no, how can they preach unless they're sent? Christian, you have in a very real sense been sent by God to do the work of preaching to the world. You really have. I don't know if you ever think about yourself that way. How can they preach unless they're sent? Christian, you have been sent. You've been commissioned by Christ to do the work of informal preaching. He sends you into the world, into your local world at least, to preach to sinners, to preach Christ to them. Christian, this means... Nothing less than that you are under obligation to Almighty God to do this work. That's what this means. He sent you. He's declared that his people, his church, are to propagate the gospel to the world. And since we've been sent by God, brothers and sisters, we dare not disobey, do we? Who do we think we are for us to disobey a command of our God? I was talking to a man in the military last night. No private in the military would dare reject the command of a general, would they? How much less should we reject the command of our God and King? We've been commissioned with a task. He's given you a job, Christian. Fulfill your calling. Right? Everyone seems to ask, right? Do, do they not? Everyone seems to ask in evangelical culture, what does God want me to do with my life? Here it is. This is to be the one great calling on your life as a member of his church. The spreading of the gospel for the salvation of sinners. I'm not trying to sound trite here, but everything else you do is just filling in the gaps. Where you work, where you go to school, where you live. All that stuff is just filling in the gaps and is secondary to this great calling to preach the gospel. He has sent all of us, as it were, into the mission field in some way. Dedicate yourself to this work in whatever way that you can. And I don't deny, I'm not a fool, I don't deny that our opportunities and abilities are going to be different from person to person depending on what season of life that they're in. But this is our great mission. This is our great calling. 
We've all been sent by God into a lost and dying world with this message of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So it is now our task as sent ones to go and spread the message like wildfire. God's called you. He sent you. Go do it. But as we end our time together, let's summarize what we've seen this evening. Why we should preach the gospel to people. First, It's the best news that you could possibly tell someone. It's the message of salvation for all who believe. Second, sinners will perish without the gospel. Third, God will save his people by the preaching of the gospel. How encouraging is that? Fourth, you have been sent by God to do the work. Now, Christian, in these last two weeks, we've seen that we are under obligation to evangelize. We've seen what it is that we are to proclaim. And now this evening, we've seen four reasons why we should be encouraged and convicted to do the work of evangelism. Now, to close out, I just want to ask you the same question I asked last week. Will you do it? I'm serious. That's the question of the hour, brothers and sisters. Will you do it? Out of love for God and the supremacy of his gospel, will you do it? In obedience to the commission and sending of Christ, will you do it? Out of love for your friends and neighbors and loved ones on their way to hell without the gospel, will you do it? Out of the encouragement that God will use you and save his people. Will you do it? Will you preach the gospel? Or will you be like most professing Christians and refuse to do the work? Will you sit back and remain a coward? Will you persist in your unbelief in the promises of God to help you through the work? Will you offer up lame excuse after lame excuse that will ultimately be put to shame in the day of judgment? Will you be ashamed of the gospel? What will you do? I'm serious. That's the question. I could have a thousand evangelism seminars. I could preach on evangelism every single week for a year. And what it comes down to, you can read all the books. I've read a lot of them. You can watch all the online stuff to prepare you for evangelism. I've watched a lot of it. You can study the word about evangelism. I've done that. And what it comes down to every day, even for for me, and I'm not trying to say that I'm like a super Christian, but you guys would probably look at me and say, well, David's pretty bold. Every single time there's a fear and it comes down to, will I or won't I preach the gospel? Will you pull the trigger or be a coward? That's what it comes down to almost every single time. How dare we pray God save sinners, but I won't go tell them. How dare we pray God give me the opportunity and we don't take it. What are you going to do? And I'm not mad at you. I know I'm being kind of intense about this. I don't want it to be misunderstood. I'm not angry with you. But I'm just being real with you. What are you going to do? So Christian, I command you. By the authority of the word of God, if you have been slack in your evangelism, if you've been a coward, if you've just been apathetic and not cared, 
Repent. With all the authority that I have as a minister of Christ and His gospel, repent. Repent of your lack of love for your neighbor. Get on your face before God and weep and be broken for your sin. Repent of your lack of love toward God, that you would despise His gospel so much that you wouldn't tell it. That you would despise His authority over you so much that you wouldn't submit to His command. Repent. In our refusing to evangelize, we break the two great commandments, and we must repent. Christian, I want to encourage you, as we always do. God promises forgiveness through the Lord, through Christ. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from our wrongdoing, cleanse us from our trespasses. But Christian, you must repent. You must repent. And I don't mean pay lip service to God. What do we know about repentance? Repentance manifests itself in some way. At the minimum, repentance manifests itself in an endeavor to walk before the Lord Jesus Christ in loving, glad obedience. So in this particular instance, repentance will manifest itself in you amending your life and attempting to evangelize in some way. Anything short of that is not repentance. Repent, Christian. Set yourself to the work. Declare Christ to the world around you. Don't shrink back from the work. Don't put it off on someone else and say, someone else will do it. See the beauty of the message. See the conviction. See the encouragement to do the work and go. Preach Christ and Him crucified. I'll end with Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I thought this was appropriate. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. God help us that we would not be ashamed of his gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word that you've given to us in Romans 10. God, grant us repentance. God, help us to, to, for it to ever be before our face that people are going to perish. Let it be burning in our heart that we have the best news. Let it be an encouragement to us that you save your people through preaching. Let it be a, a, a constraining obligation to us that you have commissioned and sent us as your church. God, you've given us every reason conceivable that we would go and preach. So God, I pray that you would give us faith to submit to your commandment and pull the trigger and do it. Forgive us for our cowardice and our apathy and our laziness and our cold-heartedness. God, break us and grant us repentance. Break us as we behold Christ with the eye of faith and we see his great love for sinners and his great love for you and how he preached himself. Break us, God, and let us be people that love the Lord Jesus so much that we cannot help but to tell people of him and call them to faith in him. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.